the Open Source Creative Podcast, Episode 9, Tutorial Monkey Button Junkie. This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity, process, and open source software during my work commute. In this week's episode, I talk about tutorial content. More specifically, I talk about people's tendencies towards replicating the process of a tutorial verbatim and only learning how to push a specific series of buttons in a specific order without really learning any subst- anything substantial. And, I, you know, in, in the course of the episode, I try to work my way through sorting out if it's the fault of the tutorial maker or the tutorial watcher or both or whichever. And, and you know, what, what solutions can we do to kind of remedy that or fix that? And a tiny little bit of personal news that I forgot to include in the main recording. I got through Inktober. That was fun. Lots of fun. I'm definitely going to do that again next year. Now, however, it's November, a home of NaNoWriMo, which for those of you who don't know, that's the National Novel Writing Month. I don't know which which nation it's happening all over the world now, so it's should be iNaNoWriMo or like International novel writing month or whatever but yeah the idea is to to write a 50,000 word novel in the course of a month I really wanted to do it this year but with the non-fiction deadlines I've got Blender for Dummies third edition there's there's no way I'm gonna have time to to do a novel and that this month however however as a consolation prize to myself if you follow me on any of the social media stuff, which would be Facebook, Twitter, Google+, just look for Monster Java Guns, or if you're following my blog, you'll know that I've relaunched my Lie of the Day. Lie of the Day is something that I started shit, eight years ago. Uh, basically, the short form is I make a complete, bold-faced, often ridiculous lie, every single day, and I post it online. And uh, I did that for five years straight, so I ended up with like 1,800 lies, 1,800 plus lies. And uh, But three years ago, I, I, I stopped doing it for a bit. And uh, now, after just over three years, since that very last lie, I've started again. And I've almost forgotten how much fun it was. I don't know if anybody reading has fun as much fun reading them as I have writing them, but... Uh, it's 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 a blast. I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, I have more to cover actually on on me and lying, but I'll I'll do that in another episode. And in another little bit of personal news, I have a book that's about to be released. Back in March of this year, I wrote Farming Simulator modding for dummies. Farming Simulator. I didn't really know this at the time, but Farming Simulator is a as it sounds like it's a game uh, simulates farming. Uh, imagine taking a flight simulator in terms of graphics, a simple flight simulator in terms of graphics and whatnot, and, uh, and I'd hate to say Farmville, but you know, but more simulatory, not cartoony. And and uh, you get farming simulator. The thing that I didn't know is that the modding community behind this game is freaking huge. It's just it's gigantic, and I blew my mind. But in any case, I was commissioned to write Farming Simulator Modding for Dummies, and its official release is November 10th, which is five-ish days from now. 
and I believe it's being released on its own and bundled with the latest edition of Farming Simulator. So, yeah, that's pretty cool if you're a Farming Simulator fan or, you know, want to be, and you're interested in making mods for... By the way, this game, people who have made mods for this game, uh, like, the the whole Lua source is, is you can see it and make your own personal edits to it and really do some crazy mods for it. Someone made a flight simulator, actually, out of out of this game, which just is ridiculous. Um, I want somebody to make the ability to farm velociraptors as livestock. So, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, go uh, go go get the book and, and, and just let me know what you think about it. As always, if there's anything else that I say in this lovely, lovely podcast of mine that strikes a chord, which, by the way, this is a very long intro, but, eh, I can do that. Anyway, yeah, if, I, if there's anything else that I say, you can make a comment on it on the podcast section of my website, monsterjavaguns.com slash podcast, or you can track me down. I'm Jason Van Gumster. Uh, I'm track me down on your favorite social media website. Just look for Monster Java Guns and tell me what you think there. All right. On with the show. We're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. And welcome to the Open Source Creative Podcast. I'm Jason Van Gumster, your host and driver. Let's jump right in on this stuff right here. So, because I'm home now, I'm no longer at the Blender Conference. Well, I was no longer at the Blender Conference for last episode, but now I'm, you know, regularly scheduled and and all that stuff. Because, yeah. <laughs> and because I was out for, you know, a couple days, or a couple weeks, not out, but you know, I didn't have my normal format for for the episode for a couple weeks, there's some news, some things to catch up on, uh, so let's go ahead and get started with that. Uh, first thing right up, is this is mostly because, well, I've been talking about it the entire time, so I might as well, when they, when they finish it, bring it up now, I'm talking about Synfig Studio, they actually have gone through all of their release candidates and their official release of, I think it's, now my memory's going to fail me, but 0.64.2. So if you're a Synfig Studio user, go get it and have fun with it. Other fun open source related news stuff. There's a really interesting article, it's on blender.org, about Midoki Studios, man, I really hope I, I said that wrong. Midoki Studios, which did some animation for, if I'm reading it right, was they were doing animation for Rovio for a game called Plunder Pirates. And so for the in, uh, the in-game sort of cinematic scenes between levels and that sort of thing, they produced all of that, and apparently they used Blender to do it. And so there's a whole article about that, and it's very, very good reading, you know. Proof and evidence that open source software does get used by people who get paid to use it. Huh. Who knew? Besides those of you who are actually listening to this podcast, you guys already knew because you're part of that crowd or you listen to me say it. (laughs) 
What else we got? Oh, there's a really interesting thing going on on the Mozilla Creative Blog. They're, Mozilla's going through a rebrand or they're, they're, they're going through the process of making a new logo for themselves and they're trying to go about that process in the open. Uh, I don't know if they're necessarily, I don't think they're just sort of crowdsourcing ideas for it, but they're, they're keeping their design process open to the public so people see uh, various iterations of their design and then how it's progressing and failed designs, good designs, why they choose not to do it. It's actually a pretty cool thing to follow if you're just into design process and that kind of thing. So it's worth checking out. That's on the Mozilla Creative blog. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Oh, this one's a really fun one. There's a reason, this was again a couple weeks back, but it's online. There's a first time publishing of a old Asimov essay on creativity. Apparently, uh, Isaac Asimov was invited to be part of kind of a, a think tank on sort of a missile defense kind of scary stuff kind of thing. And he was involved with it for a little bit, but decided he was going to back out because he didn't want to be, uh, he, he didn't want to have his, his freedom of expression, freedom of speech stuff sort of Im, Im, impeded. Probably, and it's not so much like a freedom of expression thing. It's knowing yourself sort of, you know, if, if you're getting into a situation where they want you to sign an NDA and you know, you're not the sort of person that can keep your mouth shut probably a good idea to back out and not, not to be a part of it because otherwise you'll get in trouble for blabbing your mouth. So my guess is that Asimov knew that much about himself and decided to back out. But before he backed out, he wrote this essay on creativity and read through it. It's, uh, it's still relevant today. And I think it's, it's, it's worth it. It's definitely worth a good read. More things. Oh, I, you know, every time I say a new thing, I lead it with, Oh, 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 I'm excited, what can I say? In any case, there's an open source, 3D printed, bipedal robot in the EU. It's like the official Eurobot, EU robot, European robot. In any case, it's all open source stuff and it's very cool. The plans are out in the open, open hardware, open and 3D printed, and of course, open source software on the inside of it. So you can basically take that and make your own biped robot. I, I kind of want to do it. And then humorously, it, it looks a bit like the robot from Fooly Cooly, the anime. So kind of hilarious. In any case, the other thing would be the Libra Calendar project. Libra Calendar, Libra, 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 Libra Calendar 2015. And it is what it sounds like. There are six artists who use open source and create uh, open source uh, free and um, there are six artists who use free and open source software to do their creative work and they are they have been gathered together to do a calendar for 2015 and they'll be working on it through the course of November and when they're done on November 30th though somebody will go through and do the layout for it and there'll be a calendar for next year. So check that project out and contribute to it because yeah, seeing more, more visibility and more people who are using open source creative software. Absolutely. And oh, all right. So the last, the, the last little bit, bit of newsy, newsy stuff, newsy stuff is uh, 
couple episodes back, I, I was talking about a maybe migrating my writing over to to out of LibreOffice and into Markdown exclusively, and then I would do a migration for whatever for for final release to EPUB or uh, taking into Scribus for for print layout or, or that sort of thing. And I stumbled across Harupad, which works fairly nicely. It gives you a nice split view, Markdown on the left, and What's the other thing on the right? Oh, the, the actual rendered content on the right. The problem I had with HaruPad was that it was written in Node.js, and for some reason it, it seemed to hijack the JavaScript engine that was working in Firefox. I don't know, just scrolling got really slow on my browser when I was using HaruPad, which is bizarre to me. Um, so I don't know what was going on there, but it was, it was pretty frustrating. So unless I can figure out what's going on there, HaruPad probably is not going to do it. But then I stumbled across another program called Remarkable, which admittedly is a bit more bare bones. It's still fairly young in terms of development. And it's missing, you know, it's missing syntax highlighting on, on, the, on the markup side. And uh, it'd be nice if it had, you know, Vim bindings and a couple other sort of like visual things. But it's a really, but it's it's not. It doesn't use Node.js, so that's that's already a plus in its favor. So I, I've been trying it out, and I actually kind of like it. But I'm 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 not sure. I I, I vacillate back and forth as to whether or not I, I really want to commit to that kind of workflow. Like I said before, I'm not going to do it for any of my current writing projects. Um, but I'm I'm considering it for future projects. And my my concern I have with it is. Markdown is very nice and very clean and fantastic for writing. Uh, the only thing that I think it doesn't quite do what I want for writing is doing comments. Like I put comments in the, in, in, when I write, I'll write notes to myself all day long about that. One of the nice things about LibreOffice is that those, those notes don't get in the way of the content and those get shoved off to the side. And so I can read the flow and if I want to read the comments, I can. If I'm doing it in a markdown, then that comment either ends up being a footnote that I have to scroll somewhere else to see and it doesn't, it's not easily readable, or I have to do an inline comment with HTML tags, which gets hidden in the, in the markup, but it messes the text up when I'm, when I'm writing in the text. And so I, I, I don't know the best way to, to, to really handle that um, on the writing side, but it, I mean, that's a small thing. It'd be really nice if, if the, on the markup side, where you write the mark down. Oh, that's going to get confusing. But on the markup side, where you write the mark down, it'd be kind of nice if you could kind of do like what code folding does, but instead of folding up lines of code, you're, you're just folding up whatever that, that comment is, make it expandable or something. That'd be kind of nice. So like I said, that's, that's mostly a nitpicky thing. So markdown is fantastic for writing, and I can see it also being fantastic for version control, and I can see it being fantastic for... Uh, a, a, clean source material for final delivery to whatever you, the distribution method is going to be, be it uh, an ebook or a print book or, or the web for that matter. The problem I have is when it comes to editing and sort of collaborating on that. I'm in a number of writing groups and sort of the par for the course on that one is a doc file and you do comments on the document in the file. And so what I would have to do to, to fit that workflow is I would have to take the markdown, 
use PanDoc to convert it to an ODT or a DOS or a doc or whatever, and then send that to my, my, my beta readers, my, my critique group, and let them get their comments and then take those comments and reconcile them back into the markdown. And it's, it's a workable solution, but it feels awfully kludgy. So I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm running back and forth on that. If anybody else does that, you know, writes and, and does that kind of back and forth and does, has, you know, beta readers in a writing group or a critique group or whatever, and, and if they found a workable way, please let me know, write in the comments or, or whatever, because I kind of really want it to work, but at the same time, if LibreOffice had a command line for, uh, a command line option for doing a, a diff between two separate files to do their chain, um, change between two files, if I can invoke that from the command line, then I might not be so concerned with or interested in switching over to Markdown. So, eh, I don't know. It's an idea. It's a thought. I haven't, I haven't glued myself to one or the other, but that's, that's where that stands. Okay. And the only other thing that's, it's not so much newsworthy, it's just something I stumbled across, is a, a site called Docracy, D-O-C-R-A-C-Y, dot, I want to say com, but it might be org. I'll put it in the show notes when I, when I figure out what the actual URL is. In any case, Docracy is pretty cool. It's, um, if you've ever had to sign something online where they send you a contract or a form or you needed to do that um, there's a couple services that do that and they always charge you and those sort of things Docracy actually does it for free and kind of also has a, a acts as a resource for crowdsourced legal documents legal agreements um, I don't know how much vetting goes on in that, but it's a uh, it's a, I won't say it's necessarily fully an open source thing but it's it's at least a, a open content, open idea kind of thing, which is, you know, I think that's, it's, and it's free. So yeah, if you're, if you need something like that, check it out. It's, and then if you actually use it, let me know what you think about it. Cause I'm really tempted to try to use it. All right. So on to my actual topic that I want to talk about this week, and that is tutorials. I'm going to get in trouble a little bit for this. Video tutorials are a fantastic way to learn something. The, the question I always have is whether what you learn. And that's not so much a question of the quality of the video tutorial necessarily. Uh, it also deals very much, very heavily with the quality of the person who's taking the tutorial. And one of the things that really always kind of bothers me is the 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 overwhelming culture of tutorial button junkies. That's what I'm going to call you. A tutorial button junkie. And you've seen this. And what it comes down to is there are people who basically follow a tutorial verbatim and create what exactly is, you know, what the tutorial says. But they all they learn is how to push a specific number, a set of buttons in a specific kind of way. It's kind of like learn how to draw a Mickey Mouse. Yay, you can draw a Mickey Mouse, but it doesn't teach you how to draw necessarily, right? I mean, if you draw, if you, if you do enough of those, there's this sort of osmotic thing, I'm sure, that could, where it would seep in. But I there's, there's, and I don't, I don't know where to put the, I don't want to assign blame per se, but a, that's partially because I don't know where to put the blame. I mean, 
Is it the fault of the tutorial maker? Many folks are doing this. So there's a good chunk of folks who are doing this for money. And especially those people, you people, <laughs> who, are, who are doing video tutorials, you know, is it, is it the responsibility of the person who's making the video, video tutorial not to make a, here's a tutorial on how to model a boot, or here's a tutorial on how to, you know, do this very specific Photoshop thing. Is it, is it the tutorial maker's responsibility, or is it the responsibility of the person taking the, you know, following the tutorial and saying, okay, this is a technique on how to do this. I can apply this in six different ways to do this other graphical thing that I want to do, right? Because I think there's two kinds of really valuable teaching resources. One of them is the reference. And it's sort of the one I, I lean to the most. I'm, I'm the nerdy kid that read the encyclopedia when I was, you know, in grade school. I'm, I'm that nerdy kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. Give me a break. So I, 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 I have a personal bias and preference for stuff that's more reference-based, uh, that's not too project-specific, right? I just like to say that I can't, you know, take a, a project-specific tutorial and suck out the parts that I need and you reapply them for something else. I do that shit all the time. But, so I, I, th I have a bias towards the referential stuff, just, and with a bias towards referential, that also means I kind of like written material because you can search for that one thing you're looking for and then be done with it. Video tutorials are usually not annotated, not done in such a way that you could search them and find that one specific little, what was that one thing the guy did in the, in, you know, halfway through his tutorial on modeling a face with the, the guy's nose and the, it's, they're really hard to reference and, 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 and do searches on. So they're, they're, that's the other thing about video tutorials. But yeah, I'm really curious about where the responsibility lies on that. I mean, my, my gut says the responsibility lies with the person taking the tutorial. And if the person taking the tutorial only learns how to model a rock or only learns how to model, you know, a very specific style of boot, that's a big part of me says that's on them for not extrapolating it and taking it to the next level. But I think there's, I mean, there's got to be some, some onus, some responsibility on the tutorial maker to provide that extra information. Don't just say how to do this. Don't say, click this button, push this button, move this around. I don't know what this button does, but click on that. You, you want to teach. You want to say, you know, show them the wrong way to do it, explain why it's wrong, and then do it the right way. Use the video tutorial not just as a mechanism for showing how, how to do X, Y, or Z, but show the process and explain why a thing works the way it does so that it's more easy for someone watching the tutorial to say, oh, I could reapply this someplace else. If I'm watching a tutorial, I don't want to watch a tutorial on just how to, I don't, on how to do like a painterly effect in GIMP, for instance. I don't, I don't want to watch a tutorial on that that only talks about that. But if it talks about sort of the nuts and bolts of, of how various paint filters work and how to apply them, that's way more useful. That's fantastic use. That's fantastic knowledge. Because I can reapply that in six or seven different ways and it's way, way more informative. So I would say that if you're, this, this will be my compromise response, I suppose, is that if you're a user of tutorials, 
then it's on you to pull more out of the tutorial than the tutorial gives. Treat it, I, I, I told a student, when I, when I used to teach, I told a student of mine that I, I teach, I treat education the same way I treat a buffet. And I'm the sort of guy that, that shows up at lunch and leaves after dinner. I, I just, I like to get my money's worth. <laughs> and so from a tutorial, whether you pay for it or not, get more than your money's worth out of it. Get more information out of the tutorial than, than perhaps the person making the tutorial wants to share. So really, really observe and, and take their techniques and, and, and reapply them in new and interesting ways. At the same time, you people who do tutorials, and I'll include myself, I do occasionally make video tutorials, but those of you who make video tutorials out there, tell the freaking why. Give, give, you know, know why things work and how they work and explain, like, I'm not going to, like, you know, explain if you're, if you're adding, we'll say Blender, you're in Blender and you're, you're working on something and you're adding a modifier, but you're only using a couple settings in the modifier. Fine. That's great for that particular project. But while you're there, while you add the modifier, why not take the time and explain what the other parts of the modifier are doing. Why I'm not enabling this feature, why I'm not using that feature, why I am specifically using this other, you know, enabling this other thing in, in the modifier. That makes your tutorial way better, way more useful. And all of this goes towards avoiding the cookie cutter tutorial monkey button junkie, uh, Syndrome. It's a very long name. Syndrome. Tutorial. Tutorial monkey button junkie syndrome. Yes, we need to avoid. I'm gonna try and say it again. <laughs> we need to avoid tutorial monkey button junkie. T, M B J. Well, that's a horrible acronym. We're not gonna go with that one. Yeah. Anyway, tutorial monkey button junkies. We need to avoid them. Avoid becoming them, and. As tutorial creators, we need to avoid making them. And the only reason I'm bringing this up on, on my podcast is because open source software, especially open source creative software, you get a lot of people who are doing computer graphics and or doing creative things as amateurs, or at least they're starting out as amateurs. Some of us, some of us have been around for a while, and we're, we're I'd like to think that I'm, for instance, not an amateur, but you that never stops you never stop learning so you might you still have to read documentation read reference watch video tutorials and those sort of things and but the, the so but a large population of people who use open source software don't have exposure to the basics of computer graphics and or for that matter general art fundamentals design rules or and 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 proportions and, and those sort of things they just don't have that fundamental basis so you have to you have to really treat a tutorial about more than the thing you're working on but you want to sort of teach the field if you will and that's that's why I'm bringing it up in, in the podcast here is because there's there's a lot of people who use open source software for creative endeavors that are just starting out and they need good learning material and again like I said those of us who aren't just starting out, who have been been in the game for a while, we still need good learning material too. I mean, it's not like not like I know everything, and it's not like anybody that that um, that's really good at any of this stuff is is 
doesn't have things that they could still learn. So everybody still needs that material. So yeah, that's, that's my thing. That's why I'm bringing it up in the podcast. And that's why I'm talking about it is that there's, there's a need, I think for actively discouraging the tutorial monkey button junkie syndrome from getting into people. And we need, and I think that both as people who, who most people who are trying to learn new things and as people who are, who are in the position of teaching and training, because again, a lot of people who do video tutorials, they don't have a formal teaching background. So they might not know that these are things that they should also be teaching. You know, they, they, might, they might just say, I'm going to teach this one thing, but you, you want to expand what you're teaching on too. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help man. <laughs> and let me put this in there as well. If, if you happen to do a video tutorial or any sort of tutorial, it could be a written tutorial too. I don't, you know, it could be any of those. If you happen to be a person that, that have gone, that has gone through one of those, those tutorials and done it straight, done the exact tutorial to the letter verbatim for the love of everything that is good. Do not put that in your portfolio. Do not put that work in your reel. Because, again, anybody who has been working in this stuff, everybody who's, who's, who's I don't want to say professional, even though I hate the word, but everybody who's, who's doing this sort of stuff professional and who's been doing this stuff for a while, they're, they're looking at the same tutorials. They know that they're out there. We know that they're out there because we're watching them too. So if you, and so the people who are, I mean, yeah, a hiring manager for a larger studio, they're not going to care as much because they're not, they're not very good to the ground. But the guy that that's actually going to be on the line or, or if you're working in a larger company, they're going to know. So yeah. And just for your own, you feel good about yourself. Don't put to, unless you do something that looks that takes that tutorial concept and, and blows it out of the water and do, and turns it into something, you know, reinvents it into something completely new and fantastic. Just no, don't, don't put that work in your portfolio. It's, 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 it's going to be bad. And, and, and I just don't recommend it. So actually that's, that's not a bad process. What, what, what I, what I would almost recommend doing is taking, take a tutorial. And if you, the tutorial want to follow it to the letter, do exactly what it says to do in it. Great. When you finish it, scrap that work and try to redo it from memory and change everything along the way and see what you can get out of it. Or, or that, that's a starting point. That's if you want to, if you want to progress to the point where you start pulling techniques out of tutorials and reusing them for other purposes, that's your starting point. I think that's where you, where you begin. And then from there, you could start taking things into new places and making fantastic, awesome new work and, and those sort of things. So that's my challenge. That's, that's, that's my challenge in my charge is if you're, if you're following tutorials, sure, go through it verbatim once, but then, the, but then scrap that work and start anew with, with the same techniques and make something completely different, but use the same techniques. And then as, Anybody who's making a video tutorial, please, 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 please know what things do and explain them beyond the outside of the context of the project you're, you're, you're walking the people who are following your tutorial through. 
show them more than just the stuff that you're making. Show them, show them how the tool works and, and show them more art fundamental things as well. Because that's, I think there's, there's, there's a, a dearth of that content and um, yeah, that's what I gotta say. Well, in any case, this is a little bit shorter episode. My, my, my commute was relatively traffic free, which is fantastic. So this episode is a little bit shorter than previous ones, but yeah. But anyway, I finished my drive. Time to get to work. See you guys next week. Hello. You know, uh, you know that thing's liable to go off. Yeah, it could.